sequencing influences regret at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Lower buffet prices lead to less taste satisfaction. How traumatic violence permanently changes shopping behavior. And also, remember the study we mentioned earlier that men eat more in the company of women? Uh-oh. That's one of the five studies that they get from just scraping this data basically to death to find any associations in it. Right. So they didn't set out to be like, mm, let's take a pool of people who've experienced traumatic violence and see what happens to them in a grocery store. They were like, we are doing a study in a grocery store. What happens when we look at just the people who've had experiences with traumatic violence, basically, right? Yes. That's a big oops. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> and it's more than an oops, right? And so the reason why I find this so delicious, this is, you know, the cute opening anecdote to a blog post that, like, isn't about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the blog post is basically this, like, rise and grind bullshit where he's comparing this, like, hardworking, unpaid Turkish researcher to a paid grad student in his lab who refused to do this for him. <laughs> the whole thing is, like, this fucking subtweet of this poor woman who left his lab and didn't want to do this, like, wildly unethical research. So he says, Six months after arriving, the Turkish woman had five papers accepted or submitted. In comparison, the postdoc left after a year and also left academia, with one quarter as much published as the Turkish woman. I think the person was also resentful of the Turkish woman. God damn it! It's also, I will say, in this blog post, it feels extremely wild to watch someone commit career suicide without knowing that that's what they're doing. Right? And having no idea? It's really <laughs> something. But so, are you familiar with this term p-hacking? Uh, it's one that I've heard. I don't totally, like, my understanding is that it is sort of this general practice of, like, you interpret the data so much that you start to manipulate it. Basically, yeah. I actually think that a better term for this is harking which stands for Hypothesis After Results Are Known. Oh, that's a great acronym. It's good, and it's a good word, too. Yeah. You can say, like, harking at the moon and stuff. <laughs> this is basically what Brian is describing here, where it's like you've gathered all of this data. The central question that you're trying to answer, you didn't get the result that you wanted, or it's inconclusive, or whatever. And so basically, you just start, like, systematically going through your data and being like, well, what about, you know, men eating with women? What about like older people and pizza? What about salad? You just start going through it and being like, well, is there anything else here? Hmm. This is a problem in science generally, but it's especially a problem in nutrition research. I think that's something that people don't really know or like haven't really internalized is that there's essentially no way to research nutrition. Hmm. Because you can't really induce diet changes in people in any sort of scientifically robust way, like this is why essentially every study that compares like the Atkins diet to the Ornish diet, none of them actually find interesting results because nobody can stay on these diets very long. Right. Almost all of those studies are like... There's like a little section where they just sort of mention briefly, like 70% of the people on this diet dropped off. Anyway, the results are blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well. Exactly. The only thing that leaves you is to survey what people are already doing, right? So this is how you get a billion of these studies where they'll take, you know, 10,000 people or these like giant cohorts and they'll ask them a bunch of questions. Do you eat blueberries? Do you eat apples? Do you have cancer? Are you tall? Are you short? Are you redheaded? And then you can publish the associations that you find. People who eat breakfast every day, like way less than people who don't eat breakfast every day. Like every day you can find a study coming out that is like along these lines. Right. People who ate full fat dairy as a kid are more likely to be thin in adulthood. Exactly. Is one that is like blows people's brains out of their heads and 
is one of these sorts of associations where you're like, okay, but what else does that mean? Exactly. There's a really good series of articles by Christy Ashwanden at BuzzFeed, who sort of does a deep dive into like the way that these large scale studies are done. And the sort of the main thing to know about these huge survey studies where they're asking people, you know, about their health conditions and about their weight is that like the data is total trash because there's really only two ways that you can get information from people about what they're eating. The first way is you do these like 24-hour recall studies. You keep a diary for a day and then you sort of write down like, today I had a sandwich for lunch and then like I went to McDonald's for dinner or whatever. Mm. But of course, the problem with that is that First of all, the minute you start keeping a food diary, you start eating differently. Yeah, that's right. Like if somebody tells you to write down everything that you're eating, you're probably going to eat better that day. Yep. And even that, Christy in her article talks about like she goes to an Indian place and eats like a curry for dinner. And she's like, well, how many calories was that? How many grams was that? What were the ingredients in that curry? Yeah. None of us know like the weight of what we're eating or whatever. Totally. And even even when you do have sort of like straight ahead kinds of foods that you're eating. Even if you're like eating a stock of celery, the difference between a small stock of celery and a large stock of yeah, celery exactly. is subjective, right? So, you know, 24-hour food diaries are problematic in their own way. And so a lot of studies will do food questionnaires. They're called food frequency questionnaires, which is like a pretty standard methodology for these kinds of studies that include all kinds of, you know, a huge battery of questions about like how often in general you eat various foods. Uh-oh. You know, as you are probably guessing this is also super problematic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is an excerpt from Christie's article in BuzzFeed where she actually took one of these questionnaires. Huh. Some questions, how often do you drink coffee, were straightforward. Others confounded us. Take tomatoes. How often do I eat those in a six-month period? In September, when my garden is overflowing with them, I eat cherry tomatoes like a child devours candy. Mm. But I can go November until July without eating a single fresh tomato. So how do I answer the question? Questions about serving sizes perplexed us all. In some cases, the survey provided weird but helpful guides. For example, it depicted what a half cup, one cup, or two cups of yogurt looked like with photographs of bowls filled with various amounts of wood chips. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't just use bowls filled with yogurt, but whatever. It seems really odd to choose wood chips. It seems chips. like an easy you one. You know what it is? It's the um, commercials for tampons and pads that are like, it's just mystery blue liquid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know that time <laughs> of month when you, like, just there's a bunch of Windex that shows up <laughs> in your underpants? <laughs> this is that. <laughs> Other questions seemed absurd. Who on this planet knows what a cup of salmon or two cups of ribs looks like? I noticed that when I was offered three choices of serving sizes, my inclination was to pick the middle one regardless of what my actual portion might be. Mm. There's quite a few studies of like how bad these are. Like in one of these large cohort studies, they found that people were underestimating their calorie counts every day by as much as 800 calories. Whoa! And so it basically makes like all of these comparisons are completely invalid. Because you can't say that, you know, blueberries prevent glaucoma or something if, like, you don't actually know how much blueberries people are eating. This feels like an inroad to the studies that we're sort of constantly getting on foods that are sort of, like, controversial nutritionally, right? Like, mm -hmm. cranberry juice is really good for you. No, it's really bad for you. Dark yes. chocolate, have it every day. Never have it. Oh, my God. Red wine, drink it for your heart health, but not after age 70. Or, what? like, whatever the things are, right, that we're sort of constantly getting conflicting information about a handful of things. Like, eggs were this way for a long time. Fucking eggs, man. 